Welcome to Season 2 of Veterans AZ, the show that celebrates veterans across the great state of Arizona and highlights their stories and accomplishments. To kick off our second season, we are very proud to be part of continuing the legacy of the USS Arizona. We do that through an interview with Nikki Stratton, granddaughter of Donald Stratton, a USS Arizona survivor of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Nikki shares her grandfather's story as part of her personal commitment to honoring him and his shipmates, but she is doing even more than that. Hear about it coming up. I'm here today with Nikki Stratton, whose grandfather, Donald Stratton, was a seaman first class aboard the USS Arizona December 7th, 1941. So he found himself literally on the front lines of history. Well, thank you for being with us today, Nikki. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about your grandfather? What kind of man was he? He was just a genuine man. I mean, you, he would walk down the street and you would have no idea that he was a Pearl Harbor survivor, let alone a USS Arizona survivor. Um, he was very jovial. He had a great sense of humor. And I think that that probably is what people remembered about him um, as he got older. Um, you know, through everything, through the fire, through the injuries, through um, going back to World War II after he was injured, um, he still managed to keep his sense of humor. And he had it until the day he died. Now, you were obviously able to spend time with him um, and really have that such an important relationship, I think, we have with our grandparents. So uh, that's great. When did you first really start to understand um, his legacy as a, as a surviving crew member of the Arizona? Well, I've been told stories ever since I was very young, um, but I don't think they really like hit home until I was in fourth grade and we were actually learning about Pearl Harbor in my history class. We were learning about Pearl Harbor and I just raised my hand and I said, hey, my grandpa was on the Arizona. And like my teacher's face just, it was like a jaw-dropping moment. Um, you know, and at first I, f I felt like I may have said something wrong uh, just because of his reaction. Um, but then he, he pulled me aside after class and was like, I need to know more, like give me more information. And so I told him the story as best as I could as a fourth grader. Um, but his reaction really is what kind of gelded me towards, you know, learning more about Arizona and knowing that my grandfather was not just an ordinary man. He was somebody that had a story to tell and a very important story, a very historical story. And so um, I started to read anything I could get my hands on. I would talk to my grandfather, which was um, both good and bad. Sometimes he, he didn't want to talk about it. And, you know, sometimes he did. A lot of times I would kind of eavesdrop on other conversations to try to glean as much information uh, as I could. Because, you know, being a young kid, it was something that really wasn't uh, talked about the the dirty details and the the hard part about the death and you know the burns and everything so uh, sometimes I just kind of had to listen through an air vent or something like that. Can you tell us a little bit more about your grandfather's story on the Arizona? You mentioned he was he was very badly burned, I believe. So my grandfather was on the port side director when the big bomb hit. Um, at that point, you know, they, they were attempting to fire at the high, Japanese high altitude bombers. Uh, but unfortunately, their shells were bursting before they were actually getting to their targets. And then the big bomb happened. And so um, that was over a million pounds of ammunition, of aviation fuel that just kind of went up. Um, and it just, it, it tore the ship almost completely in half. It elevated about 75 feet in the water and then settled back down into Pearl Harbor. Uh, my grandfather and six others were trapped in the director. Um, one of them actually was burned so badly and actually endured a gunshot wound to the head from a strafer. So there was five left in the director, including my grandpa. Um, they actually had no way off. Um, they were cooking alive. The temperature was about the temperature of Kilauea, of 
lava coming out of the Kilauea volcano, so about 2,000 degrees. Um, and, the, and you're just surrounded by metal. Um, and then the dress code of the day was shorts and a t-shirt. Um, so anything that wasn't covered was just immediately burned. Um, I think when they finally did his medical evaluation, he was burned about 65, 70% of his body. Um, third degree burns, so we're not talking like little, you know, baby burns. Um, but ultimately, they got the attention of a man named Joe George, uh, who we found out later. We had no idea what his name was until after the 50th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. I think it was the 60th that we found out. Um, but Joe George, who was on the Vestal, he was actually putting out fires and uh, doing his duty, and um, which was amazing because he actually uh, was going to receive a summary court-martial that day for getting in a bar fight the night before. Um, it's just a fantastic story. They let him out early, and had they not let him out early, you know, my grandfather and I would never be here. So Joe threw a line from the USS Vestal all the way over to the USS Arizona, which was about 100 feet. Um, they tied another line, and then my grandfather and the six others climbed hand over hand across burning water, strafing Japanese planes onto the USS Vestal. So my grandfather was burned over 70% of his body, like I said, and he actually arrived um, stateside on Christmas Day in 1941 and recovered in Corona, uh, California for about a year. Uh, when he finally said he had enough. Um, he was done after the um, doctors said that, hey, you need your arm amputated, and he absolutely refused. He said, what is that going to leave me? Um, so he was like, I'm done with treatments. I'm going to go home. Um, and so he ended up hitchhiking back to Nebraska, uh, where he spent another year home with his family, but realized that he wasn't done yet. He wanted to go back and he wanted to get back into the fight. He wanted to avenge his shipmates, the 1177 that passed away that day, and also his best friend, Harl Nelson, that he never saw again. Uh, so he decided he was going to re-enlist in the Navy. Uh, the Navy uh, had a few issues with that. They said, mm, we don't think that you can make it. He said, I think I can. So they said that he had to go through boot camp a second time in order to get back on a ship. And so he went through boot camp a second time and, you know, did great with that. They said, hey, why don't you stay back here and, you know, train boots and, you know, you know, teach the sailors, you know, everything that you've learned. And he's like, put me on a ship. <laughs> and so within a week after graduating boot camp, he was on the USS Stack and, and bound for the Pacific Ocean. So he participated in, uh, I believe it was five more battles uh, in World War II. So he effectively started and finished World War II. Wow, that is a, an incredible story and, and certainly a, an incredible man. Um, let's uh, fast forward to today. And you, you are the ship sponsor of the new USS Arizona, a fast attack submarine that will be commissioned soon. Uh, when were you first approached with that idea and, and what was that like? Um, well, I got to say, me being asked to be a sponsor, it, it happened on the worst day of my life. Um, which, which is very interesting to say. Uh, my grandfather had just passed away. Uh, he passed away in February of 2020. Um, and we actually had a big funeral for him. Um, and this happened just right before COVID. Um, so we were still able to have a group gathering. And um, the Secretary of the Navy actually spoke at my grandfather's funeral. It was Secretary Thomas Modley at the time. And then he pulled me aside afterwards and he said, I know you know this, but I named two ships, USS Arizona and USS Oklahoma, as the two new fast attack submarines. And he's like, for the Arizona, he's like, I cannot imagine anyone better serving as sponsor than someone that actually has a connection to the previous Arizona and someone like your grandfather you know, to have his legacy aboard. And so um, on the worst day of my life, on the day of my grandfather's funeral, the Secretary of the Navy 
pulled me aside and asked me to sponsor the new submarine. And, you know, of course I said yes, because I, I, I can't imagine a better legacy for, for me, for my family, and for the 1177 that passed away on December 7th. So what does that entail? What is it like being a ship's sponsor? Yeah, we're still in the very early stages of being a ship sponsor, so I, I, I haven't really gotten to do much of the big events yet, but that is coming. Um, so the first big event will be the keel laying, um, and so I will actually get to etch my initials in the keel of the USS Arizona. Um, I'm actually going to go a step further and add a piece of the original USS Arizona onto that keel, um, because I think it's very important that we connect the past and the present uh, ships together. And then I will actually christen the ship as well. Um, I don't know if many people know this, but the original Arizona was actually christened with two bottles. Uh, the first was water that flowed over the, the Hoover Dam. Um, and so that was, that was used as the first bottle because Arizona was also a dry state at the time in 1916. And then they used the traditional champagne. And so for me, I'm like, ooh, precedent, that's awesome. I don't have to, you know, start something new. Um, I'm actually going to be doing root beer for the, first for the first bottle, and that's actually going to be a bottle that is created in Gilbert, Arizona, uh, by Joe's uh, Barbecue, um, which is a local guy, and he's been around for a long time. And the reason I chose root beer is because a lot of the guys, a lot of the survivors, that was pretty much all that they could drink for a while after, while they were recovering, because they were pumped so full of medications, the root beer actually settled their stomach and they actually continued to drink it until their very, very, very late days, including my grandfather. I think he had a root beer the day that he died as well. So, um, you know, root beer is going to be a good thing. And then uh, we'll do the traditional champagne as well. So I will knock both bottles over the Arizona. And then there's the big one, commissioning. Uh, commissioning is where the uh, sub is actually presented to the U.S. Navy. Um, I will essentially call it to life and then uh, have the crew board the ship. Um, and so that's kind of the early, the big uh, milestones at the beginning. But I will also be involved with the ship and its crew throughout its entire life cycle. I'll make sure that the crew is taken care of if they need, um, when they come home, have dinners for them. Um, if they're in port somewhere, try to meet them there and, you know, ensure that, you know, if there's something that they need to make their job easier, I'm going to get that for them. So what would you like our viewers and listeners to know about the, the process to, to get the new USS Arizona into commission? Is there something we, um, the people of Arizona, can do to support all that? Well, we are going to be doing some fundraising. Obviously, you know, we're going to make sure that all of these events go off um, with huge fanfare and all of that. So once we're ready, we're definitely going to start soliciting donations for um, the entirety of Arizona um, as well as the entire U.S. Um, we really, truly feel that um, while it is named USS Arizona, this actually has a bit more uh, history uh, towards it uh, with the entire U.S. And so we're going to make sure that, you know, we, we, we accomplish that. Um, we're also, you know, any person can help. We're going to, you know, come up with some crowdfunding so that even if you want to say, I'm going to donate a dollar towards the keeling or commissioning or whatever, we're going to be able to accept that. Um, and we want everyone to be involved. So it's, it's truly going to be a statewide event, even though the host city is Gilbert. Um, this is truly, this is a state name shipped, and so the entire state is going to be involved. Oh, that's outstanding, and, and we'll certainly share all that information with our viewers and listeners. And, and I'm not sure how many people know the, the battleship Arizona. Uh, I believe the people of Arizona had to raise quite a bit of money to have that vessel built. Yes, I think it was about $16 million um, at that time, which is, you know, 1913, 1914, 1915, um, you know, when it was commissioned the first time. So um, it was commissioned in 1916, which is cool. But yeah, the, the, the state actually did have to raise quite a, fit, quite, a, quite a bit of it. 
Well, hopefully you won't have to raise $60 million, um, but uh, it would be great if, if our viewers and everyone in Arizona, and as you say, across the nation, uh, can support this effort because the USS Arizona does hold a very special place in, in United States history. Um, well, thank you so much. Um, before we close, can, can we talk a little bit more about the town of Gilbert's involvement? Because they're the sponsoring city. Correct. And, and so what is their role and, and what's your connection there? Well, every uh, United States vessel, uh, they have a host city. And so basically that is kind of the center of activity. Um, now, the reason I chose Gilbert is because my grandfather was from a very small town in Nebraska, Red Cloud, Nebraska, and I wanted to kind of continue that and keep that same feel. Um, and a lot of the USS Arizona um, sailors that were aboard uh, in 1941 were from small towns. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to keep that, you know, feeling through and, and Gilbert is, you know, a perfect place. Uh, it still has that small town feel, um, but, you know, I think it's going to, you know, prove to be a very good center of um, kind of activity and um, all that kind of stuff once we start getting going. Is there a timeline? Do we know kind of roughly when when the ship will be, when the keel will be laid and when the other We pieces? do have a rough timeline. Uh, the keel laying will likely be late 2022, early 2023. Uh, christening will be 2024 and commissioning will be around 2025, hopefully in Pearl Harbor. That would be, that would certainly be appropriate. Um, and, and those years will come quickly uh, and that'll be such an exciting thing for you to be a part of. So um, congratulations and thank you so much for for what you're doing to to honor your grandfather and to honor all of the of the members of the USS Arizona her crew and and our state of Arizona it certainly has a special uh, place in our hearts so thank you so much thank you I really appreciate it the USS Arizona is such an ever-present part of our state's identity learn how you can do your part to support that legacy and the new USS Arizona at ussazlegacy.org. Homelessness is a challenge that seems to defy simple solutions. For veterans here in the Valley, however, there is Mana House, the Marine, Army, Navy, Air Force House, which is a facility where veterans experiencing homelessness can find relief and fellowship, and in many cases, a new path forward toward a better life. Hello, I'm here with Cole Hickman from Mana House, Marine, Army, Navy, Air Force House, uh, which is a program of Catholic Charities of Arizona. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Cole. Happy to be here. So uh, what is Mana House? I said the title, but, but what, is this, uh, what is this place? So Mana House is this really amazing program that actually started as a group of veterans experiencing homelessness uh, down at one of the shelters in Central Phoenix and they were there to support one another um, and it grew from there into a program that is now a transitional housing program. So we provide services as part of a grant per diem contract with the VA to give veterans experiencing homelessness a transitional housing environment where they can work on getting back on their feet and back into their own home. And so we help them with uh, case management, we provide food, shelter, uh, try and provide a, a sober living environment so people in recovery can focus on ending their homelessness and connect them to services that can address their other needs, whether it's mental health or job services or, or whatever it is, because our goal is getting them back into their own stable housing as soon as possible. 
And, and is there a typical period of time that that takes, or is it just really different depending on the individual? It varies a lot. On average, it's about 60, 70 days, but it just depends on what the specific challenges are that that veteran's navigating and that we need to help them get through. And so it could be that they come into our program and they're only there for a few weeks until they get into their housing, or it could be that it takes many more months for them to get their uh income arranged and identify housing that they can move into and connect to other services. So uh, we try and make sure that we don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. We want to focus on the needs of each individual veteran, but really focused on how do we successfully move them into housing. And uh, how many are there at any one time? Is there a certain number of beds? Is, is, is that really the limitation? It is. We have 76 beds in our program. Wow. And um, for much of the pandemic, we weren't full, but over the last few months, we've really been uh, almost completely full or nearly full the whole time. And I'm not sure if that's a result of um, any kind of eviction uh, moratoriums ending or what, but uh, there has been an increased demand for beds. And so we are uh, running at full steam all the time right now. And you talked about how uh, it really started as a, a group of veterans in a shelter. That sounds like a pretty amazing story. Can you go into a little bit more about how MANA came to be? Yeah, I could tell a little bit about it. Um, um, so there were a group of veterans experiencing homelessness who wanted to look out for each other while they're staying on the street and keep watch over one another overnight. And it grew from that into uh, an organization uh, down by the Human Services Campus where the cash shelter is located. Um, they created a program that had their own offices, um, and um, one of the board members for Catholic Charities, Terry Ehrman, was one of the founders of this program and really did a lot of advocacy to grow and build this organization up. Um, and then it became a transitional housing program. And um, a couple of years ago, it was uh, absorbed into Catholic Charities as a program. And Catholic Charities is a much larger agency that has a lot of diverse services. So uh, my sister's place is a domestic violence program. And uh, we just opened up a shelter up in Bullhead City. Um, and a, a lot of different advocacy programs and outreach programs serve veterans and other populations. And how do veterans come into the program? What, what's, uh, how do you become aware of them? Or how do they become aware of you? And, and how does the intake work? So all veterans who enter our program come from the VA. The okay. VA has an office called the Community Resource and Referral Center. And so any veteran in Maricopa County who's experiencing homelessness can go down to 1500 East Thomas Road and talk with someone about housing services, about what their needs are, and get connected to a variety of different programs that may include coming to a program like Man House where they can be in a transitional housing program. And, uh, move from that into their own housing. Um, also get them connected to housing services that may be eligible for because of their service record. But they may get connected to other programs for substance abuse or mental health or something where they can get a little bit of rental assistance just to move into the home of a family member or friend and not have to go through a program like ours. But all of our referrals come directly from the VA and we actually have VA staff on site so that we really work closely with them to make sure that these veterans are able to take advantage of all the resources that they uh, have earned access to because of their service. And uh, I was reading that it is a peer-to-peer -peer support environment. Is that correct? Are there, are there I mean, it obviously started as uh, veterans who experienced homelessness mm -hmm. and then were able to transition 
and then they immediately wanted to help other veterans. So are there veterans on staff helping veterans in the facility? Absolutely, we have a, a mixed staff. So um, some of our staff are uh, people who've experienced homelessness or, or, uh, uh, or are in recovery from substance abuse. And so they use that peer experience. But some of our staff, uh, like myself, are veterans. And so we can connect with the residents uh, from that perspective and um, understand their experience navigating VA services and just some of the challenges of somebody who's uh, served their country, maybe been in combat. And um, so it, it does help us maintain that environment where there's a, a common experience, a common identity. Um, but we also want to make sure that we're transitioning people back into um, you know, a civilian environment where you're not just living with other veterans, you're living in your own home. And so um, many of the veterans that we work with relate on a lot of different levels. And that's why having a, a staff of, that's a mix of uh, former service members and people who haven't served but have other peer support experience is really valuable. If it's possible to remove COVID from the, from the equation, and it may not be possible to do that, but if it is, what's your overall assessment of the, of the issues of homelessness among veterans in Arizona? Is it, mm. is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it staying the same? Are there enough resources, difficulty accessing resources? Can you kind of give us a, what, the, what the view looks like from where you sit? Sure, um, it's definitely challenging right now. And, and we have seen an uptick in demand, um, a, the, an uptick in the number of referrals coming from the VA and the number of people in our program. Um, I'm not sure how that impacts the larger community, though we do still have a Veterans Outreach Center at the Human Services Campus where MANA started um, as the Madison Street Veterans Association, that peer group. So we still have uh, an outreach team that works with veterans who are still sleeping outside or, or in some of the shelter services down there. Um, and we have seen a lot of people coming in. Um, the VA is providing a lot of great resources, and that's uh, been a change that really ramped up over the last uh, decade or more in a nationwide effort to end chronic veterans homelessness. And that's part of why we have programs like Mana House and other housing resources that are available. Um, many of the veterans that we're working with are navigating the same challenges that other people experiencing homelessness are dealing with. So poverty, the rising cost of housing, um, uh, challenges getting a, a place to rent uh, based on eviction histories or maybe criminal justice uh, issues that make it harder to find the place that they can rent. Um, navigating chronic health conditions, mental health issues, substance abuse issues, and all those things um, can contribute to derailing someone's housing, whether it's because they get evicted or because they lose employment or because they find it difficult to find housing or, or support resources. And so the thing that's different about the veterans that we serve is that they have the VA and there's a lot of resources available through the VA. I suspect, I hope that there are some amazing success stories yes. uh, that, that kind of buoy you and the other staff there. Um, can you share maybe one that, that sticks out in your memory? Or Absolutely. There's a gentleman who we worked with, and um, he had gone from being a, a successful businessman and to having kind of a, a mental health crisis, and a lot of his support structure fell apart, and, um, and he led to, uh, he ended up in experiencing homelessness, living on the street, and he got connected to the VA and then connected to Mana House and was able to put the pieces back together to move back into his own housing. And then he entered a program that's a partnership with AARP um, called the CSEP program, 
where you can actually work with a program uh, part-time and provide your experience, your life experience, both as a peer support person, but also other skills that you may bring. And as a veteran, he came and joined our Veterans Outreach Center at the Human Services Campus. And so he was able to go from being somebody who was successful, um, ended up in, in homelessness, got back on the street through Manor House, and then joined our team to reach back and help other veterans who were in the same place that he was and help them get back on their feet, whether it was uh, getting connected to the VA, coming to Manor House and leaving for housing on their own or accessing other services. It just depends on what their individual needs are. Um, but that's one of the powerful things about that Veterans Outreach Center is that those are all veterans, um, the staff and those CSEP participants, and they're bringing their experience, navigating the system, understanding the frustration of other veterans, but giving them hope that I was able to make it through this. Your situation may not be the same, but I'm here to work with you through it. Um, because that's what, as veterans, that we always had is that you're never alone. That other veterans who served, whether they know you or not, they're there to reach out their hand and support you. And so that's what we continue to maintain in our program, both where it was born, but also in what we're doing as a, as a larger facility. Um, something that we've been working on a lot lately is really trying to help veterans who are moving into housing be more prepared for that. Before I worked at Manor House, I worked at the Human Services Campus, and that's where the cash shelter is, but also that Veterans Outreach Center. And so I saw a lot of people coming in um, just at the beginning of their homelessness um, and of accessing services, whether it was housing, shelter, um, getting connected to the VA, medical care, whatever it was. And I would see people who had gotten assistance and gotten into housing, and then things fell apart and they came back. And one of the key challenges was that when people experiencing homelessness move into housing, they may be coming with just a couple bags. They may move into an apartment and not have anything in their kitchen, any furnishings. And many people would go from, would move into their housing, but they would have nothing to actually live there and make it a home. And they would end up going back to the shelters and the soup kitchens and the places where they were able to get meals and other support because they didn't have that in their new home and they would see their old friend that they used to drink with, they would see maybe their old drug dealer, they would see people who they used to get into trouble with. They would see a friend who would say, hey, what are you doing? You know, I'm, oh, I'm sleeping on the street. And they say, oh, well, why don't you come back, stay with my place? Because they want to do the compassion and the right thing and look out for other people. And that may be a violation of their, uh, their rental agreement. And so different combinations of things would happen where they would, it, it would jeopardize their housing and cause them to lose it and end up back uh, in homelessness. So our goal is that when people move into housing from Manor House, we really set them up with all the supplies that they need in order to make that a home so that they can get back to um, something kind of a semblance of normalcy. Because we we're not ending someone's poverty. We're not ending their substance abuse or their mental health. There's a lot of things that it takes to continue to work on those things. But we can set someone up for success by giving them bedding when they move into a place. When they leave our program, they can take their mattress with them. They can take all the bedding and the towels and the clothing, everything that we give them. They can take all that with them um, so that when they move into a place, they can furnish that home. We've gotten donations of, uh, um, of coffee pots, of George Foreman grills, of cleaning supplies, things just to help someone really make their home um, a place that they can be independent in and that they can stay in. And, um, you know, so donations of pots and pans and towels and 
uh, laundry baskets and bedding, things that people, everyday items that people need in order to use their home. We want to set them up for success by giving them those things. Because also if they go into housing and they spend their money to furnish all those things, they may not have money left over for first month's rent. So this is really about fighting poverty, but it's also about making sure that when someone moves into housing, we want that to be the last time they're moving into housing from homelessness. What is the best way for someone watching or listening to, to support this effort? It is, is it to, to go to your website? The, the best thing is, uh, so you can either call Mana House and, and reach out to us. Um, also going to our website um, and uh, just seeing the listing of uh, uh, the wish list items that we have or the things that would really support our program. Um, and um, things that we definitely need if anybody wants to drop off, uh, you know, bedding towels, we always need those things. There are a lot of toiletry items that we give out regularly to the residents in our program. Um, plates, bowls, cups, because everything I just mentioned, when they leave our program, they can take all that with them. And so those are not just things that help the veterans in our program, but those are things that help the veterans when they move into housing to furnish their new home. And then we get more supplies to help the next person who comes in after them. Well, we'll certainly share that information uh, on the screen with our viewers. So uh, hopefully folks will be in touch and, and we'll take the time to learn how they can support this amazing work that you're all doing. Um, awesome. Thank you so much for everything you're doing on behalf of, of veterans. I know as a veteran myself, and, and you feel this too, I'm sure it, it, it hurts to see people experiencing homelessness, but certainly knowing that person volunteered to wear the uniform and, and go into service, and in many cases, uh, go into combat on behalf of our nation. It, it's tough to know that, that they're experiencing hard times. So it's good to know that, that there are people like you and organizations like Catholic Charities and Mana House who are there to help them. So thank you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, and everyone can do a little bit to help out. And thank you for sharing uh, the work that we do and, and the experiences of the veterans that we're serving, because that also helps get them more support to uh, get back on their feet sooner. Absolutely. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Cole. Thank you to Cole and everyone at Catholic Charities of Arizona for everything they do for veterans in our community. Learn how you can support this effort at manahouseaz.org. Did you know that entrance fees as well as standard amenity recreation fees at national parks and forests are waived for current military service members and their dependents, and for veterans and Gold Star families? This benefit provides the military community with free access to approximately 2,000 public locations spread out across more than 400 million acres of public lands, which host activities to fit any lifestyle from serene to high octane, including hiking, fishing, paddling, biking, hunting, stargazing, camping, and much more. Learn how you could take advantage of this benefit at blogs.va.gov, search National Parks. Thank you for watching or listening to Veterans AZ. If you enjoyed it, share it with friends and family. You can find past episodes and other veterans resources and information at veteransaz.org.